0: Hmm. recorded live. Hi, everybody. This is the Mixed Experience, and I'm your host, Heidi Duro. This is a show about a mixed chick's mixed thoughts about a mixed up world, and today is November 7th, 2016. We are having an election in the United States tomorrow, folks. Go out and vote. It is your civic duty. Uh, I have already voted. I voted... Uh, absentee ballot or mail-in ballot, and I'm crossing my fingers, people. So today, a little bit of a different format, probably a much shorter show because I have no great guest today. It's just me, but I still wanted to check in with all of you to uh, give you a couple of announcements and updates and give you some thoughts on some miscellaneous mixedness. So first, I just wanted to mention that I do head a nonprofit arts organization called the Mixed Remixed Festival or seeking submissions for the 2017 festival which will be held June 10, 2017 in Los Angeles go to www.mixedremixed.org to learn more about the event and also click on call for submissions if you think you'd like to be a panelist or presenter or performer or even a filmmaker who has a film that you'd like to have highlighted at the festival, Uh, we get more and more submissions every year. So it is really tough to be part of the lineup, but we want to know about your work, and who knows? It could be you. So definitely check that out. The other thing is I also wanted to mention again about this writing workshop that I'll be teaching in February in Northern California it's a week-long workshop designed for people who are working in particular on first novels, but it could be any novel, but I think it's particularly helpful if you're working on your first novel. Um, what I'm looking for, just some people with some good stories who are willing to do the work to uh, sit down with us and engage other people's work in dialogue and figure out some new strategies for themselves, both with the writing and with developing your career, a very big piece of the workshop actually is talking about how you actually make that transition from whatever you're doing now to being a full-time writer. So that was my own journey. I was an attorney and then a consultant, and now I'm a full-time writer. Or maybe I'm a full-time festival producer. I'm not sure, but my, my work, the thing that makes me money is being a writer, which is the good thing. So if you're interested in that, I wanted to make sure that you take some time in the next couple of weeks to put your application together. It's pretty simple. You can go over to my website, HeidiWDuro.com, or you can go to the Jurassic site, D-J-E-R-A-S-S-I.org, and click on Workshops, and you'll get all of the details. There's a small application fee Uh, We're asking for up to 25 pages, I think, of your manuscript. Uh, It doesn't have to be the one that you'll actually be working on, but something that shows that you have a serious intent with your writing. You will have to have the manuscript ready, obviously, for the the workshop once uh, we're workshopping your pieces. Uh, But I think it's going to be really cool. And there's an early bird deadline at the beginning of December if you apply and are accepted into the workshop, you can get, I think, 10% off. So this is kind of a big deal. (laughs) I would highly recommend that you sit down, write your pages, get the work done, and um, submit. The last time I taught this workshop was in 2015. And if you listen to this show, then you know that already one of those people has published her book already, the book that she was working on with us in the workshop in 2015 it just came out it's excellent it's called in the heart of texas more on that in just a second and there's a second person participant in that workshop whose book is coming out i believe in april Uh, she was also working on the manuscript at that point and now it will be a real published book out in bookstores everywhere so this is kind of really cool and I, i don't think i got lucky in finding this group of people but they continue to be supportive of each other and they are all making great strides i think there's something really to be said for creating community in that way not only does the location foster that it's a really beautiful uh, all natural location with internet does have internet and uh, and wonderful wonderful food but you'll enjoy nature and wonderful hikes great companionship delicious dinners and meals with fellow uh, writers who are in the hunt to getting out of vision as opposed to just a book, right? Like that's really the thing to hold on to in the workshop as well. And then you'll also get some concrete notions about how to develop your career because, again, you're not just looking to have a product. so easy to have a product these days because of self-publishing and uh, vanity publishing, it's very easy to do that, but don't you wanna know how to develop a career? So I walk through some of the things that I did uh, and some of the things I would have changed in what I did and some of the things I recognize are a little bit different now than I am, uh, yes, six years out from publication. So I think it's highly worthwhile. I hope you'll join me. Um, again, the deadline for the early bird deadline is coming up at the beginning of December, so please, please make sure you put in your applications uh, to make sure that that might be a possibility for you. Okay, beyond that, we have to talk about some miscellaneous mixedness, and the first thing I have to talk about is that wonderful film, Loving. You guys saw it, right? I hope you did. Well, I mean, maybe you couldn't have. So it opened in limited release last week. Uh, Obviously, New York, L.A., I'm not sure where else, but it's opening in wide release nationwide this coming weekend. Now, Loving is a film that is based on the lives of Richard and Mildred Loving, the interracial couple that actually took their court, their case to court all the way to the Supreme Court because they were not allowed to be married in Virginia because of the state's Racial Integrity Act. Uh, Richard was white. And Mildred was, well, that's a whole other thing. She was black. They say in the movie uh, she was mixed race or she was Indian. There's a little bit of controversy around that at this point, too, because the story is being told in a way that I think Mildred wouldn't have chosen to have told it. But let's, let's talk about that in a little bit. But the film itself, it's uh, just it's beautiful. I saw two different advanced screenings of it, one in, I believe, September, and then one in mid-October. And each time I wept. I mean, I just, I wept. There was something so powerful in that it wasn't the story of the Supreme Court case, in that it wasn't about the lawyers or the arguments they were telling. There were no white savior heroes in it. (laughs) There wasn't a a big deal courtroom scene. It really was about watching these two people who were just very much in love. And I can tell you, I was just so struck by this image of Richard Loving. Um, Joel Edgerton somehow has transformed himself physically in this film because he, as I have seen since, like there's a big spread of him and Ruth Negga in Vogue, he's leading man handsome and he really transforms himself into a Southern good old boy, which is what Richard Loving looked like. There was something so powerful to me in seeing him as part of the fabric of a community of color and not just him, but also his family. And of course, you know, this is the story of my life and and the story of many of your lives where you're not uh, disconnected from difference, culturally or racially, but it was just so powerful to see that reflected on the big screen. Um It really did get me very weepy, not just once <laughs> during the film, but a few times, especially after the baby was born. I'm not spoiling anything. you've seen that in the trailer. Uh, There was just something so powerful to see this man who, if he lived today in 2016, if you threw on a, a, you know, Trump make America great again hat on him and a Confederate flag, it wouldn't surprise you. Right. But he didn't and doesn't belong in that milieu. He belongs very much in the center of the world that he's chosen and chosen by love. Right. So I don't know. I'd love to hear what you think of the film. I found it very, very powerful. I think the performances are excellent. You know, I don't know who else uh, Ruth Nega will be up against for Oscar contention, but she certainly will be nominated. Uh, I could see that she could take it, absolutely. Um, She just does a phenomenal job. She really uh, takes on this wonderful quiet strength Um, she has a very simple purpose in the film um, and yet it's it feels like there's a depth to the performance as well so I can't recommend that enough it's a very bare uh, understated film I would say uh, you know if you're looking for a razzmatazz (laughs) it's not in this film for you. But if you're looking for a story that gets to the heart of what the case and what their lives were really about, it's super touching. Um, You know, I, I just choked up at the end, both the first time and the second time. And of course, you know, it's like going to see the Titanic. I know how the film ends. And yet I still was just so undone by it, I think you'll love it. I hope you'll let me know what you think. You can tweet me at Heidi DeRoe or email me um, Heidi at com. I'd love to know what you thought of it. I, I will say this. My only my only sadness about it is that it wasn't a person of color who brought it to the big screen. I Or like another mixed person. Although Ruth Nega is mix which is really interesting I think and wonderful uh, and adds actually another layer of complexity to the to the story and the film but there was a little part of me that said dag nabbit Heidi why didn't you do it <laughs> what were you doing I was doing that festival thing you know um, so there was that little part but I have to say that Jeff Nichols did a really fantastic job it's a very bare bones um, stripped down script Uh, But the way he's put it together, uh, the way he's directed it, and his cinematographer, I don't know who that was. uh, The film, though, is starkly beautiful. It's a gorgeous, gorgeously shot film. And you can see, because part of the heart, um, using all these terrible puns, part of the heart of the story is that, you know, Richard and Mildred ended up pleading guilty because they had married, against the law. And they were spared prison time, or further prison time, because they agreed to leave the state forever. But of course, you know, that was the only home that they knew. I'm a wanderer myself, and I thought, well, you know, how hard could that be? But I also have family and landscape that I feel connected to in very many places, and their heart was actually in that land. Anyway, I'm struggling to write a little bit more about the film and my feelings about it, but I, I just feel emotionally undone by it every time I try to put into words what it means to have seen it. And um, I hope you'll, you'll see it. It's so important that we support this film with our dollars This kind of film won't be made again if people don't go see it. You know, if it doesn't make money, that's how Hollywood works. Like, it's got to make money. So please, please go see Loving this weekend. It will be everywhere. I mean, if you haven't heard of it yet, of course you have because you're listening to this podcast. But uh, tell everyone you know. And it's not just you know, it's not just one of those mixy things. It really is. Darkly beautiful to recognize how not so long ago it was. And, you know, we just allowed gay marriage in the United States two years ago, not three years ago, was it? But that just happened too. So there was a piece of me also sitting there feeling very much in connection with all those families who hadn't been allowed to be a family because their parents were gay or because they were gay and they weren't allowed to be legal. Um, You can see on the screen, oh, this wonderful moment where all of a sudden you, you can see that Mildred sees, oh my gosh, my family is legal now. And she doesn't say it, of course, and I'm projecting this on her, but I had that feeling, too, you know, in my own family. And I know I've mentioned this many times, but my parents were married in 1965, which was two years before the the Supreme Court case was decided. And they were going to get married in South Carolina, but weren't allowed to because it was still illegal there. So they married in Denmark instead, right? Like. And I remember knowing that story growing up and thinking that my parents were kind of like renegades. But then as I got older, I realized the injustice of the law. It wasn't just that they had been heroic in skirting that that rule and um, circumventing it, subverting it, um, but the injustice of the law had to be addressed. So, yeah. Uh, go see the film. It's really fantastic. Now, on the other side of this, there's a kind of brewing controversy, but, you know, I, and I didn't know this until very recently when I had Erica Coleman actually uh, on the show, or was one of the reasons I had her on the show, that Mildred Loving uh, didn't identify herself as black, which I, you know, I had no idea. And so, Um, how do we talk about this story in a way that makes it as complicated as it really is? Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure that we can. I was just looking up, there's a a great story. So Erica Coleman, who I had on the show, as you remember, just a few weeks ago, she uh, wrote this great piece for Time Magazine, I believe it was last June, And uh, this is where she talked about the fact that Mildred was, in fact, um, not a person who considered herself uh, black, right? Like, it kind of blows your mind when this is supposed to be, like, the story that tells it all. Well, she wrote another piece that came out this last week, also, again, in Time Magazine. Uh, It's called The White and Black Worlds of Loving the Virginia." And she tries to talk about this very special place where Richard and Mildred love, love, loving lived, uh, where race wasn't binary, that it was very much, um, it was complicated. <laughs> this is what we keep on talking about. Uh, race is not a binary white or black thing. It's very much uh, a more complicated issue than that. And so, I highly recommend that you check out this story. Was in Time magazine. It's online from November 4th by Erica Coleman, called "The White and Black Worlds of Loving the Virginia." So there's that. Um, other mis- miscellaneous mixedness, um, <laughs> I just thought I would make sure that I talk to you guys about the um, article. That was going around Facebook, the white dad who's adopted an African-American girl who just had this really powerful Facebook post about how he hadn't even recognized that he had racial bias against black men, um, and he wanted to fix that. And he talks about how he was watching a young man uh, walk down the street closer to, I believe, I assume it was a a white woman. And he decided he was just going to watch to make thing make sure things were okay. And in that instance, he realized there's nothing suspicious about this guy except for the fact that he's black. And so he shared his story on Facebook and then Upworthy turned it into this wonderful video that You should definitely check out. And it just made me think a lot about how there has to be more space for that. I mean, there has to be more space for people to be able to say about themselves, hey, I'm wrong. Because we're living in this age where it seems worse, (laughs) which is so perverse people think it's worse to be called racist than to be racist, right? Or to do racist things or say racist things. That they're, they're race being a racist has somehow become equivalent to, you know, these horrible things you see protesters saying and doing um, in these days leading up to the election. So I think all of that to say I think what's really happening is by saying you know you can't call me a racist I think we're we're changing the amount of space where we could be self reflective and say oh you know my like my bad like wait a minute I need to check myself because if being racist is is like a horror a horrible horror that you're not able to recover from there's no way you're going to identify yourself with that right like so there has to be a little bit more space in this world for people to say you know what Uh, that's wrong um I didn't realize I had a bias in this way um I'm going to work on it um so so there's that so definitely look for that video as well that's it for me today on my miscellaneous mixness. There are some other stuff I thought I'd talk about, but I could see I'm going to go off on a whole election tangent that I don't necessarily want to record. Uh, but I do want to say, make sure you vote. It is your civic duty. Uh, we definitely have a candidate who has worked hard and deserves to lead our nation. And, um, I hope you vote for her. <laughs> Can I just, let me just say, I hope you vote for her because a uh, worry otherwise. In any event, uh, I will leave the show at that. Next week, back at the same time, I'm coming up in the last two episodes before the end of the year. The holidays get really busy and it's hard to book guests. Uh, so probably the last, uh, episode for 2016 will be uh, the Monday before Thanksgiving. So if you have any ideas for me or things I should mention, please tweet me at Heidi DeRoe or email me at Heidi... <laughs> Wait, let me try that again. Heidi at com. That's the email address. I want to thank you for joining my little rant today. Go see Loving the Film apply to my writing workshop. I want to meet you. I want your writing to sing and soar. And I will talk to you again next week. I'm Heidi DeRot, this is a mixed experience. See you soon.